Hello, how are you guys? Are you well? Nice to see you. Nice to see faces. Nice to see what God is doing amongst us and really trust that this morning is going to enlarge you. Um, it's a bit of a challenge for me because I'm, I'm kind of hoping you're going to follow me and get to what I'm saying. Um, I want to I kind of make your gospel bigger. I want to I I make Jesus more profound for you. And what you're involved in so profound that you would give your life even more to it. And kind of that's where, that's where I want to go this morning. And uh, I love that Lex said he is pinned to Jesus. And what we're doing now is we are, we are heading into Easter. And so what we're going to do is we're going to have a series of sermons going into Easter and then Easter Friday. By the way, Easter Friday, we're going to have a breakfast together. Bra doesn't, we, you can't cook um, eggs on a bra thing so it's going to be flat things on a bra like a you know so you can do bacon and eggs so the idea is to bring bacon and eggs bring a skotel if you've got one and then we're going to hang out afterwards and enjoy some coffee and some and some breakfast together as we have been encouraged by the good friday service that we've just had so it's kind of that's what we that's what we're heading towards but as we head towards easter we want to do a little mini series going towards that about the gospel and the profound wonder of the gospel which at the very core of is Jesus and uh, that's why it was so wonderful when when Lex comes and says we need to be pinned to Jesus and and Corne comes and says we've got to consider Jesus consider Jesus it's like this this person of Jesus friends has been a profound profound um, made a profound impact in this world and we get to be part of that and so I'm really praying that by the end of today, we'll have a better grasp of Jesus and the story that we are in. So, the word gospel obviously is, is a kind of a, not obviously, but the word, gospel, the word gospel is a word that was used in Greek language very normally. So, for example, the Battle of Marathon, I've told this story before. Battle of Marathon, when was it? It was 490 BC. And... Uh, the Persians are against the Greeks. There are kind of 25,000 Persians under, under King Darius, and they landed in the Greek plain of Marathon. And the Athenians, thinking, oh no, we're done now. But anyway, they go and attack them because they've kind of invading their space. And um, they, they go in, and, and they are completely outgunned. They are completely overwhelmed in the sense of the numbers they are, but somehow they cunningly win this battle and they send a messenger back to Athens and he happens to run about 42 Ks, hence the Battle of Marathon. That's why we get the, where the Marathon comes from. Back to Marathon, back to Athens, and he brings the good news that they've won the victory. That word good news in the Greek, he would have said that same word that Jesus spoke when he said the gospel, the good news. The evangelion. It's, it's that thing. It's the same word. And so what we have with the gospel is the good news of a victory that was won in Christ. But what's happened over time is uh, uh, it's probably one of the greatest journeys in my life theologically around the issue of what is the gospel. Because I kind of grew up knowing this is the gospel. God created you for a story that was written by God for you, 
We, however, failed to live up to God's standards. It all happened back in, the, back in Genesis with Adam and Eve and the, when they gave up submission to God and submitted to the evil one instead. So we kind of all are in that place. We failed to live up to the standards of God. But the good news is that Jesus sent his son to die for you. And Jesus died for you so that you could be reconnected and reconciled to God. And that means when you're in that place, when you die, you go to heaven. Now, there's nothing wrong with anything I've said right now. But friends, that is a part of the gospel. What I've just told you is part of the mechanism of how you get saved. And what I want to do this morning, I want to, I want to challenge our minds and our hearts that when you hear the word good news, it's bigger than you being saved and going to heaven. It's bigger than you being saved and your sins forgiven and us now having the barcode that when we go through heaven's scanner, yes, heaven, this way, no, it hasn't got the code that way. It's Dallas Willard example. So what I want to do is I want to, I want to challenge our, uh, and then obviously what we do when we do that, when we evangelize people, is we say this. We say, what would happen if you walked out of here and a car ran you over and died, where would you go, heaven or hell? And we kind of put people in this risk fear factor and they're like, oh, I don't want to go to hell, I want, I want to go to heaven. But they haven't understood the power of the gospel of the kingdom. Because it's way bigger than us one day being with eternity with God in his presence. And in fact, that kind of gospel was never preached before the 20th century. It actually was, it was when the evangelists came to, to being, the D.L. Moody's and the, the Charles Finney's and the Billy Sundays and the Billy Graham's, where the harvest machine started to move and these guys kind of, des and, and they gave these messages that were designed to make decisions for Jesus, however, never ended up making disciples for Jesus. So what I want to look at today is I want to look at the way the gospel was preached by different people, including Jesus. So, and obviously those guys that preached that, they never not intended to make disciples. It's under, they, it was a good gospel that people, many people got saved and many people became disciples of Jesus. But the problem is, is when that becomes your only frame and it's only that and it gets reduced to that, we don't end up making disciples with the gospel. We make decisions for Jesus and then we, you know what the stats are? The stats are that 90% of people that make decisions for Jesus in that way in their teenage years by 35 are not in the church and not serving God. It's because they've got their barcode bar bar and they, they find now, I've got my, my conscience ticked, but we're never following Jesus. We've never understood the power of the kingdom. So Paul is the guy that's kind of to blame for this kind of gospel. Because when he preached the gospel, and particularly Romans and Galatians, he preached the gospel to Jews who needed to understand because the Jews were kind of law guys. They wanted to know. They, their whole idea was they needed to fulfill the law. If they could perfect, perfectly fulfill the law, the Messiah would return. 
And so their whole thing was to fulfill the law. And they had many different sects, the Essenes, and they wanted to be so pure that they, they kind of distanced themselves and they went and lived in a community by themselves. The Pharisees were, and the Sadducees and the Zealots, they were, all, they were all people that wanted to see the Messiah come back. They wanted to see the restoration of Israel. And so now Paul is preaching to these guys and he's got to give them categories, quite legal categories, of how this mechanism works. How Jesus fulfills the law completely. And so Romans and, and Galatians are these profound gospel um, uh, preaching, uh, explaining epistles that explain the mechanism of how, how you can find God and how it's totally within the realm of the law and fulfills the law in every way that God connects you and God together in a profound way. Because you see, what Jesus does in the Gospels is profoundly complete. There's no strands left untouched. It's perfectly his love. It's perfectly his justice. It's perfectly his mercy. It's perfectly his, his wrath at some stage as well. And every way, in every way, it's all, it all encompassed and all together and nothing is left out. Every dot, every I is crossed, every, T is, uh, every I is dotted and every T is crossed. Not a jot or a tittle will be left out. It's like everything is in there in Jesus. And Paul profoundly speaks to these guys, to the Romans and the Galatians, explaining to them how this mechanism works. However, they perfectly had an understanding of what it must be, to have an, an understanding and an expectation of the Messiah coming. So for them, their background, their foundation was, we're waiting for the Messiah to come, the prophesied Messiah. And they had an understanding of the kingdom of God, but they didn't understand how the kingdom of God would come in Jesus, number one, that the Messiah would die. And number two, how, how it would be available to not just them, but actually everybody, the whole earth, including the Gentiles. They kind of, that threw them a bit. So Paul has to write these, 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 these great epistles to explain to them how all of this thing works so wonderfully and actually doesn't undo any part of the law which they so valued. And friends, when, we, when, we, when people come to the kingdom, when people enter into the kingdom, when people step into the kingdom, the thing that they're saying yes to is the big idea is Jesus. But part of the way we get to be reconciled with God is to have our, our sins forgiven. It's to be redeemed. It's to be all these big theological words, reconciled, redemption, regeneration, new creations. These are, these are all things that happen when we get saved, when we say yes to Jesus. But that's not all that happens when you say yes to Jesus. There's a bigger picture. So, Timothy, for example, Paul to Timothy says this. In 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 8. Remember Jesus Christ, raised from the dead, descended from David, this is my gospel. Have you ever heard the gospel preached like that? Remember Jesus. He's raised from the dead. He was descended from King David. Remember Jesus the king. Messiah means king. King Jesus. Remember King Jesus. He was raised from the dead. He was descended from David. That's the gospel. 
You think, okay, what does that mean? Paul says that's his gospel. In another translation, a New Living Translation, he says, always remember that Jesus Christ, a descendant of King David, was raised from the dead. This is the good news I preach. You think, jeepers, Lord, I, I don't think I've ever heard an altar call like that. You see, that little moment, that good news, that evangelion, you won the battle that that, that guy, messenger, came back from, from the, the plains of Marathon with, the good news, the evangelion, the, that's it. You see, for Paul, he had an absolute understanding of what the kingdom was and what Jesus was in the kingdom and now had to preach that he was, remember Jesus, the center, pinned to Jesus. From the line of David, it's the part of the story of Israel, raised from the dead. If he was not raised from the dead, we have no gospel. This is the gospel I preach. What about Jesus? How did Jesus preach the gospel? In fact, some theologians will argue that Jesus never preached the gospel. And the reason why they say that is because there's, no ju- there's one place in the gospels where Jesus mentions justified by faith. But friends, Jesus is the gospel. When you talk about Jesus, you talk about the good news. Jesus is the good news. And Jesus spent his whole life demonstrating, preaching, living out, talking about the kingdom of God that has come in him. That's the good news. And so he demonstrates in the gospels how profound him coming and he brings healing. And he brings deliverance. And he demonstrates all the power of the kingdom that's breaking in through his life. You see, Jesus didn't just preach the gospel. He demonstrated the gospel. He lived the gospel. He was the guy that absolutely, if you look at Jesus, you'll see the gospel. If you look at Jesus, you will see the Father. Jesus is perfect theology. Jesus is the one that we look at. You can never look at the gospel in fact, they're called the Gospels, but they actually should be the books that talk about the Gospel. It's the, the, in, the, in the Gospels, when you read the life of Jesus, when, as we're moving now towards Easter, the culmination of, of this story was the, the Messiah that he, he started to say to people, I am the Messiah. Can you not see it? You need to repent and believe. You need to change the way you think. You need to completely understand. Do you not understand the kingdom of God is at hand? It's right here. Do you not see it? And so John the Baptist goes on ahead of him and he's doing baptism of repentance. He's trying to prepare the people so that they will see the Messiah, particularly as he comes back from the dead, as God raises him from the dead and he gets declared, this is my Messiah. You see, Jesus was the gospel. But you never see in the gospels, Jesus has a plan for your life. You've messed up. If you put your faith in him, he will put you back into your plan. That is completely true. But what Jesus is trying to get people to understand is that the kingdom of God is at hand. The kingdom of God is around us and profoundly with us. 
in the presence of Jesus. And Jesus ascends to the right hand of the Father and he leaves his Holy Spirit, the Spirit of truth, to guide us in all truth and to remind us and to make sure that we live that kingdom out. This, when we talk about the good news, when you talk about the gospel of the kingdom, when you talk about the good news of Jesus, this is what it means. It's bigger and it's more profound and it has incredible implications. You know what the problem is, friends? Is if we don't understand the kingdom with Jesus, if we don't understand that Jesus has brought the coming age down to a company, he's brought it in advance. So Jesus is the kingdom come. If we do not see that, if we do not see that, that process, what ends up happening is we've got to convince people that Jesus is Lord. So we have this thing, you know that Jesus is not just Savior, he's also Lord. That's because we haven't understood the gospel. When you understand the, the evangelion, the good news that Jesus is Lord, he's come and reclaimed everything. He's come back and he's demonstrated that he is in him, in him. There's no other name but his name. His name is above every other name. He is Lord. So when you put your faith in Jesus, he is Lord. You don't have to be convinced now actually, but is Jesus Lord of your life? And what people are trying to do by saying that is that because they're not living well, then you think, well, I've, I'm saved, but Jesus is not yet Lord. When these guys looked at the gospel, they saw Jesus as King Jesus. That's what Messiah means. He was King Jesus. He was Lord Jesus. You don't have to convince people the way Jesus made disciples was he demonstrated the kingdom. They started to see something of the kingdom in him and then he said, follow me. That's all he did, follow me. You see, we shouldn't have to convince people we've got to follow Jesus if we understand the gospel, the big picture of the gospel, of what the gospel has done. What about Peter? We see the gospel of Peter right through the book of Acts. And the way he preached this seven or eight times that Peter preaches the gospel and people get saved. This is, this, is, this is one of them in Acts chapter two. This is what he says. Acts chapter two. The spirit of God has come, Pentecost has come, the people of the spirit has fallen on all flesh. And it says, Peter stands up in verse 14. And he now, he, he's kind of now, now going to explain to these people how does, what's happening here. And then what he does is he quotes Joel chapter two in which he says, in the, last days it shall, in the last days it shall be God declares that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh and your sons and daughters will prophesy, your young men will see visions and your old men will dream dreams. And he carries on and he, he, he says, this is what's happening right now. What was prophesied then? This is what's happening now. Then in verse 22, he goes on, he says, men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him. Church, we need to understand that God did through him. Jesus didn't do them in his own power. He did them by the Holy Spirit working through him, just like you and I have to. Very important. God did, God did through him in your midst as you, you yourselves know. This Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, you crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. God raised him, loosing the pangs of death because it was not possible for him to be held by it. 
So God raised them up. This Jesus that you saw that demonstrated all these signs, wonders, and power, demonstrations of the kingdom, God raised them up from the dead. He defeated death. Just why, the reason why we don't have to fear death because we have, in Christ, we have defeated death. The sting, death has lost its sting. Then he goes on to quote something from David. And then in verse 29, he says, Brothers, I may say to you with confidence about the patriarch David and that he both died and was buried and his tomb is with us today. Being therefore a prophet and knowing that God had sworn up an oath, sworn an oath to him that he would set one of his descendants on the throne. He foresaw and spoke about the resurrection of Christ, that he was not abandoned to Hades, nor did his flesh see corruption. He, he, he quotes David and says, David was a prophet. And this is what David said, that, that God, this, this Messiah would defeat death and not see Hades and he would he'd be raised again. But therefore, being exalted to the right hand of God and having received the Father from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he has poured out this that you yourselves are seeing and hearing. So he's saying, what's happened now? Jesus has gone to the right hand and he is now pouring out his Spirit on his church and what you're seeing, all these people that look like they're drunk, it's not, it's the Spirit of God falling on them, God catalyzing and bringing something back to life and bringing something to birth. Verse 36, let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. Now when you heard this, they were cut, when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the apostles, brothers, what shall we do? And Peter said to them, repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the Holy Spirit is for you and your children and all who are far off, everyone whom the Lord calls to himself. And with many other words he bore witness and continued to exhort them saying, save yourselves from this crooked generation. So those who received his word were baptized and were added 3,000 souls. See, this is the kind of gospel that Peter preached. He preached the story of Jesus. He preached the story of Israel, which culminated in Jesus. Jesus, the Savior. What does this all mean for us? This is the, where I'm going to go now. What are the implications of this for us? Because there's implications for us. Like I said, kind of what we want is we want followers of Jesus. If Jesus is just our fire insurance, friends, then we can let him go during the week and we can come back on Sunday and he remind ourselves that he's our fire insurance. He's not. Jesus is Lord of all. And what happens is, and this is the first implication, is that it's more than a decision you make, it, it's a story you become part of when we understand the gospel and the kingdom. It's more than a decision you make, it's a story you become part of. Number one, it's a story you become part of. It has history. This generation is not the most important generation in the kingdom of God. There have been lots of generations before us and there'll be lots of generations after us until Jesus comes back and we're playing our part in this moment. But we are part of a story and that story is not our story or my story, it is his story. And Jesus is the main actor of that story and we are the supporting acts to that story. 
It's not about our life, it's about what Jesus wants. It's about the story he wants to tell. It's not about the story that we want to tell. It puts everything back where Jesus is king and we are the support and we are servants. Fortunately, the profound goodness of God makes us not just servants of God. It makes us sons of God with Jesus. It makes us brothers with Jesus. It's, it's, we get the full package. We, we have a full inheritance with Jesus. It's absolutely profound, friends. But the reason why we have a full inheritance and why we need the full package is because we're telling his story and he doesn't want us to tell half a story. So he endows his church with power so that we can live like Jesus would if he was here with us. Because that's the story we're living. That's the story God wants to tell. God wants us to go and tell the earth that there's a story. It's not, about liber, uh, lib, uh, polit it's not a political story. It's not a racial story. It's not a cultural story. It's a kingdom of God story where everything is subservient to that kingdom. And when we walk and when we put our faith in Jesus, he saves us completely. He, he comes to us and makes us a son of God and he, and he puts us back into the story and he says, there's no more shame for you. There's no more guilt for you. There's no more reproach and scorn for you. You are perfectly a son before me. Now go and tell the story. In your life, through your life, with your words, with your money, with your family, tell the story. You're part of a story. It's not a line you cross when you give your life to Jesus. Okay, well, I'm on the right side now. Because then you don't have to do anything else. Simple. Got it. I've got the, 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 the insurance. Number two. Jesus is Lord. The implication is this. Jesus is Lord. Jesus is King. Jesus is Messiah. The implication of this, friends, is that his name is above every other name. His name is above every other principality and power. It brings into play that we live in a spiritual realm that needs a, a, a government to govern it. That, and he wants to play that role and he endows the church with authority and power so that we can bring his name to earth. Let your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Jesus is Lord. The reason why I can pray that, the reason why he can say, all authority has been given to me, now go and make disciples of all nations, is because all authority was given to him. He is Lord. There's no other name bigger than him. There's no other demon that can face him and win. There's no other, there's no other principality and power that is not under his gaze and under his, under his watch and ready for his action. Jesus is Lord. My question to you this morning, is Jesus Lord for you? I'm, I'm praying, Lord, we've got to have a bigger revelation of you, Jesus. We need to be pinned to Jesus. We need to be pinned by Jesus. That when, we have, when we're in trouble, it's Jesus, my Lord. Because I'm his son. Because I'm his brother. Because I'm part of this kingdom. Jesus is Lord. He's taken me out of darkness and put me into light. Jesus is Lord. I now live from the kingdom of light. I no longer live from the kingdom of darkness. I live from the kingdom of light. But man, Jesus is Lord and he's not just Lord of me. He's Lord over all creation. He's Lord over everybody. 
And one day it says in the book of Revelation, every person, whether they love him, whether they hate him, whether they acknowledge him, or whether they don't, will bend their knee and acknowledge that he is Lord. He is Lord. What God does now is he wants us to practice him being Lord when we can't see him. To make us ready for the day when we can. Jesus is Lord. Is Jesus Lord? Amen. Number three, Jesus is bigger and more powerful than we imagined. Jesus is, more, is bigger and more powerful than we ever imagined. He didn't die for you only. He died so that everything would be under him. That's why he demonstrates deliverance with demons, with people. He wants to demonstrate that he's above all darkness. Signs and wonders and the power of God being demonstrated is because Jesus is demonstrating, I am Lord and I can do what I need to do. I can do what I want to do, but I want to use you to do it. If it's only that actually the gospel is that Jesus died for me so that I can go to heaven. Oh, friends, you were living in the smallness of it, in a reduced, reductionist form of it, when in fact we live in the kingdom of God. The gospel is really good news. It really, really is good news. He is Lord. Whatever is happening in this nation right now, and it is discouraging to read the news, know this, Jesus is more powerful than we ever imagined. Jesus is bigger than we ever imagined. Jesus is Lord. He's got this. And he'll give you grace so that we can get it too. Number four, the essence and the role of the church becomes more significant. You see, when you've got fire insurance, and I've got my thing, then I can be on my own. I can do what I want, because I've got it, and I've got it, and done. When we understand, actually, we get grafted into the kingdom now, that we are, we are Jesus is Lord, and the gospel is this big picture. He is Lord of all. He's redeemed, and, re and, and he's reconciling all things in heaven and on earth. Every bit of earth and, and creation that is not as it was when it was created back in the day. He is pulling it all back together in him until eventually we'll have a new heaven and a new earth. Friends, when we understand this, the essence of the church, the ontology of the church, what the church is, is the gathered groups of believers that understand that Jesus is Lord and they live that out amongst themselves so that they can be a witness to the world of darkness around them. So what God does, he says, actually, I'm gonna do this. All authority is mine. The kingdom is mine now. The kingdom was given away through Adam and Eve. Je Jesus comes and takes back the kingdom. The kingdom is mine now. All authority is, and he endows on the church authority and power, the kingdom, so that the kingdom can advance through the church, so that the kingdom can come through the lives of the church, which the church is you and me. You see, friends, this transaction that we have, this revelation that we have with God, it's deeply personal. 
but it's never individualistic. It's always in a community. The role of the church, the way that God has designed the kingdom is that his presence falls and he gathers a group of people around the presence and that presence gets outworked in the lives of the people and beyond. It's the way it works, friends. It's the way the kingdom of God comes. We've got to make sure that our hearts are big for the kingdom of God. We've got to make sure our hearts are, 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 our mind and our understanding of what the gospel is is more profound than just me. And when, we, and when we're in tough, tough times, friends, we run back into the people of God. When we're in tough times, we run back into Jesus and say, thank you, God, that you saved me. Thank you, God, that I'm a sinner, but yet you saved me. And thank you, God, that I don't carry guilt and shame. Thank you, God, that and we just run back to him because we can. But, but there's other times when actually then he strengthens you and encourages you through the preaching of the word, through worship, through the people of God. And then he sends you back out again. Now go and tell everybody about my name. The church, friends, becomes more significant. The essence and the role of the church becomes more significant. There's a whole preach on all of these that you could do. Number five, the church becomes a prophetic people. You see, what, the reason why the church stops being prophetic is because we've got a fire insurance. And then we've got to convince everybody else to get theirs, somehow. But a prophetic people, a kingdom people, by the nature of who they are, this gospel that they've been saved, they're looking at the future and seeing heaven and earth, the new heavens and earth. And they're saying, we're gonna to start to live that now in Jesus because we can, we've been given authority to do it. The church becomes this prophetic group of people that live love in the midst of, of hardship. This group of people that, that kind of can push through whatever needs to be pushed through and begin to spread the love of God and the fame of God and the glory of God and the gospel of the kingdom and the good news of the kingdom and give people hope again because they're a prophetic people. With a new identity in the midst of the old world. A new, a new creation in the midst of the old world. The first fruits, the beginnings of that new world, that's a prophetic people. Where everything the church touches should become this fruitful channel for the glory of God. Prophetic people, that's why Jesus heals. There's no sickness then. It, when he touches you, there's no sickness now either. He says, well, I want you to remember that's what's coming, but you can have it now in advance in me. That's the church, a prophetic people. See, friends, the power of God is not for those lunatics that live on the outs and healing is not for the lunatics that live on the margins of the church and you think how the, these oaks are wacko and weird. No, 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 it's the very essence of being a prophetic people. It's who we are. It's just part of what we do. We don't exaggerate. We don't make up stories. We just demonstrate the power of God and just naturally move through and see God doing restoration and healing and deliverance and all those things. Number six, quickly, we are born to mission. I'm done. We are born into mission. See, a, a gospel that you understand, Jesus is Lord, the gospel has come and we're now part of the kingdom of God and all that personal stuff, the, 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 the kind of God died for me. That's all in there. But what this does, friends, it instantly puts you on mission. Because the point of the kingdom coming was so that the kingdom would not just be in Jesus, it would be in his people. And it would not just be in his people, it would be in the whole world. 
So when we understand that, we realize, oh man, I can't not be sharing the love of God. I'm not, I can't not be a kind person. You kind of don't have to tell people to be kind if you understand the power of the gospel. It just becomes a natural fruit, love, patience, kindness, all those things. Because actually what happens now is that we begin to see, oh, it's just like God shared his love in Christ. God shed abroad his love in the Holy Spirit to us. We've got to take that same love and take it out. See, mission becomes the natural fruit of a prophetic people. It becomes a natural fruit of a kingdom people. We carry the king's presence, as Greg profoundly preached yesterday, last week. We're not designed for the paddock. We're designed to carry the presence of the king. And he will train us and deal with us and work with us so that we can be, perf we can be good carriers of his presence into the world. Number seven, when we understand the kingdom of the gospel, it means a worldview change. Some of these things overlap. It means a worldview change. It's not just a Sunday thing. It's an all of life thing. It's a worldview. You don't see things the same. When we see Putin invading, invading Russia invading Ukraine, we don't just see people, flesh and blood. We realize there's powers and principalities and works so you can begin to pray with accuracy and profoundness, with understanding. You see, it's a worldview. It's the way we are. It's, it's the way, it's the lens that you, it's like God puts a new set of glasses on you so you see the world with different lenses. You see people with different lenses. We no longer view, see each other from a worldly point of view, from a fleshly point of view. We see the gold within them. And we say, God, bring it out, Lord. Let me love that out of them. It's a worldview change. Hardship, friends. When we understand the worldview thing, suffering and hardship is part of the package. It's part of the package. It's a worldview change. Don't be surprised. Jesus said it would come. And so when we understand it, we don't, don't get discouraged when things come at us. The worldview that we live in is God is for us. If God is for us, who can be against us? I'm profoundly a son of God. I'm profoundly all those things. I'm re redeemed, reconciled, regenerated. I'm a new creation. There's nothing I have done. It's all been because of him. So now when I understand the gospel, when I move forward and I begin to take ground and challenge and, and giants come at me, it doesn't worry me. It does worry me, but I don't get thrown by it. Because we expect that. It's light moving into darkness and displacing darkness and there's going to be resistance. It's a worldview change. And then lastly, it has cosmic implications. It has cosmic implications. We are moving towards a new heavens and a new earth. Everything wrong with this place will be redone. Everything wrong that's out of sync in the heavenly realm will be remade when Jesus returns. That's why we've got to steward what we've got. So when we begin to, and that's why part of doing environmental stuff, it's part of the gospel. It's actually we are now in advance taking care of the earth to make sure that it looks like what it will look like ultimately then. But even what we call nature is actually fallen nature now. 
but we come and we do something with it. We, God's given us a, an, an ability to, to innovate and to, every, every profession, friends, that brings health and life to human beings and order to human beings is backed by God. Every one of your jobs, backed by God, if you understand the gospel. It's a worldview thing. We cannot reduce this while I'm saved and I'm going to heaven. That is so profoundly true and that's such a privilege. But what God has for us, friends, is way more than we could ever imagine. And as a church, if we can begin to grapple with this, and I try to put a whole lot of stuff into just a short amount of time. But I'm, I'm praying that God would do something as we walk towards Easter and as Easter kind of unfolds, that God would put a bigness in our hearts. That Jesus would become our everything. That Jesus would become our Lord. And that we would gain, if you've walked away from God, if you've walked away, as Sheena was saying this morning, if you've walked away from God and you're living and it's like you're eating with the pigs, I want to say to you, come back to the Father. Come back to Jesus. He's got more for you. His, his, the, his, when he died on the cross, he paid, he paid the price for not just the sins you have committed. He paid the price for the sins that you will commit. It's done. He's forgiven you. Forgive yourself and come back to him. He's forgiven you. Forgive others. How can you not? He's forgiven them. Come back to him. If you've been disappointed and hurt, come back to him. There is a kingdom waiting for you. And that man that Sheena was talking to, who now lives in Cape Town, is, is leading a church and, and an elder in a church, and, he's, and they are just put his marriage back together, put his kids back together again. It's the nature of the kingdom to reconcile and redeem and pull back into order again. That's the kingdom. South Africa, one day, I trust, before Jesus returns, we pull back together and put back into order again. And we have that hope because we have our hope in Jesus. We have that hope because we have that hope in Jesus. Jesus is Lord. Jesus is King and He's Lord of my life and He's Lord of all creation. And Father, we come and we submit ourselves and we submit ourselves to your story. Help us to play the part that we meant to play in our story. Help us to stick to our lane so that everybody in their lane can advance this kingdom. It's the big kingdom gospel. It's not just about decisions. It's becoming a follower of Jesus. It's not just about saying yes to Jesus. It's about following him in every part of our lives as he walks with us by the Holy Spirit. It's a profound mystery, this. Christ in the church. It's a profound mystery. But in the Holy Spirit, he comes and he speaks to us and he unravels it for us and unpacks it for us. In Jesus' name. Let's be a people that take ground. Don't hold back. Step in. <laughs>